The world is a complicated place. You need someone to expose the political fakers, fixers, and takers, and to cut through the mindless chatter and misdirection to help you make sense of it all. That person is Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show. Welcome to this edition of Dan Prof Show. Thank you for joining us. Follow us at danprofshow.com where you can get podcasts and program as you can on iTunes and Spotify on social media at Dan Prof Show. And um, we begin today with the purge, the latest and the greatest, as well as the boomerang to the purge. So we've seen this week the Epoch Times be demonetized by YouTube. Uh, we're seeing all sorts of, uh, you know, erasure of names from uh, from from being extolled in the public arena, like you know the, the name Abraham Lincoln on a school in San Francisco, for example. Uh, frankly, the use of acronyms in San Francisco, indicia of white supremacy, says uh, one art director out that way. Uh, and we're also seeing the boomerang. Uh, Governor DeSantis uh, having a press conference to talk about legislation to penalize big tech for their censoriousness for deplatforming people. Legislation filed in Minnesota to do the same. You have heard, we, we have talked on this show the other week about uh, suggestions on blogs like uh, Ace of Spades that uh, the so-called deplorables in the skilled trades should deplatform their leftist customers, use the same litmus test for their services that big tech is using for access to their platforms. You want your... Uh, toilet uh, fixed, uh, you call a plumber, and the plumber says, who's you vote for? The landscaper comes over and he sees a hate has no home sign in the yard. Sorry, don't serve you. Uh, do we really want to go that direction? We started this conversation with Rabbi Dove Fisher in part yesterday. We continue today with Gad Saad. He is a professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal. He's former uh, holder of the Concordia University Research Chair in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences and Darwinian Consumption. He's the author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, and the host of The Sod Truth. See what he did there? Uh, Gad, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Oh, good to be with you again, Dan. Thanks. So um, you uh, wrote an interesting uh, piece recently about um, the uh, cultural conflict in the United States, and you compared it to... um, uh, a particular civil war, not just the prospect of civil war in this country and often the comparisons between North and South, uh, although it won't be regional as much as ideological, perhaps this time around, you compare it to the sort of uh, the tribal civil war of Lebanon. Indeed. So for your viewers or listeners who may not know this, uh, my family and I escaped the brutality of the Lebanese civil war in the mid seventies. We were part of the last remaining Jewish community in Lebanon, and it became untenable to be Jewish in the Middle East. Now, Lebanon, even though it has always been referred to as, you know, the Paris of the Middle East and the most progressive of the Middle Eastern countries, it was still completely organized along tribal lines. So even within the constitution of Lebanon, you know, the person who's going to be prime minister has to be of a certain religion. The person who's going to be president has to be of another religion. The number of seats you get in parliament depends on your religion, and it's viewed as completely normal. Everything, every the DNA of the society is viewed through the lenses of which tribe you belong to, in this case, which religious tribe you belong to. So the end result of tribal thinking, and hence in the current instantiation identity politics, is what happened to Lebanon. Now, 
I, when I warn people about the dangers of going into identity politics, I don't mean that there's going to be a civil war, you know, in uh, 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 Tacoma, Washington tomorrow morning. But give it enough time, 50 years, 100 years, 150 years, then history is very clear. You will have a complete disintegration of society. Well, and, and uh, you know, the comparison is uh, perhaps more apt than people want to admit, because in lieu of actual uh religious differences, you know, religious uh, uh, tribes, as is the case in Lebanon. Uh, We have political tribes who essentially treat their ideology in religious terms. So, I mean, uh, if they decide that identitarianism is their religion, then that's no different than and, and versus those who believe in, you know, content of character, for example, then that becomes a similar in terms of the nature of the conflict between the Sunnis and the Shias or anybody else, two, two belief systems that conflict. Exactly. I'm glad you brought up the Sunni versus Shia, right? They're both Muslim, and yet look what happened in Iraq, right? So the, the human capacity to engage in coalitional thinking is endless. It really is part of our DNA to view the world as red team, blue team, us versus them. Uh, the problem comes where the the... The, the metric of assortment in terms of whether you're a blue team or red team, whether it is based on foundational metrics that are consistent with, you know, liberal, secular societies. And I, when I say secular, I don't mean I'm anti-religion. I just mean exactly what it says, secular, right? Enlightened society. So, for example, I could have a lot more in common with a Muslim who is uh, very enlightened in his thinking than an Orthodox Jew uh, who may not be uh, holding views that are consistent with what Canada espouses to be. I, I, I reside in Canada. So in other words, my commitment to foundational values for a well-functioning societies supersedes my religious identity, notwithstanding the personal history that I have. I may be more uh, uh, complicitous with a you know, Muslim than I am with a Jew. And so this is what I mean when I say people should belong to the tribe of truth rather than to artificial tribes. Uh, You know, pursue science, pursue reason, pursue logic, pursue values that enrich people in in a truly liberal. When I say truly liberal, I mean classical liberalism in that sense, rather than all of these, you know, grotesque tribal identity politics that we're seeing today. It's really disheartening for someone like me to see what the U.S. is sinking into. Why does it necessarily uh, trend towards um, civil dispute, uh, dispute among tribes, perhaps uh, violence, as opposed uh, no, but no, but as opposed to go going in another direction, which is uh, going in 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 the direction of a totalitarian society, uh, that where you have sort of all the institutions controlled by people who share the same ideology all fold into the state, which those same people have control of. And uh, they just, um, you know, go the way of uh, the Soviet bloc. I, I, I'm thinking of the green grocer. I'm thinking of Vaslav Havel's green grocer uh, who puts up the sign that says workers of the world unite, not because he believes it, but because it's, he's willingly participating in the facade to conceal himself from the fact that he is an obedient sentinel of the state at the same time, concealing the, as Havel would say, the low foundations of the state's power over him. So everybody participates in this facade and one is subjugated by the other. Why couldn't it go that way? I mean, I I suppose it can, but even that 
that trajectory would not be a very uh, pleasant one. Right? No, uh, clearly, uh, yeah. Right. I mean, look, uh, the U.S. has founded, uh, as most of your listeners would know, on, on a key motto, right? A pluribus unum, out of many, one. What do we mean by this? We mean it doesn't matter if what your color is. It doesn't matter how fat or thin you are. It doesn't matter if you're purple or green or blue or white. Or As long as you adhere to certain foundational values that allow us to live in a common space and a shared experience, then you're welcome in, my brother. So you can't ultimately have a society that is founded on an ethos of constant tribalization. It just, it just can't work, right? I mean, it's like, it's basically like arguing, I want to jump off a roof and maybe this time gravity won't work. Maybe I'll be able to float. Well, jump off a roof a hundred times and the same outcome will happen 100 times. This history has found that if you have repeated balkanization, you will end up with downstream consequences that are not pleasant. And uh, again, people have very myopic view of time. So they think, but surely you're not saying there's going to be civil war like in Lebanon by next Tuesday. No, I don't mean by next Tuesday. But, you know, have a crystal ball and see what happens in 100 years. I mean, I live in the cesspool of academia where all of these idiotic ideas originally get spawned. And if I showed you the grants that I review, you would think it's satire. The, 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 the endless, you know, how to create black spaces, how to build architecture using queer theory. It is such an incessant and orgiastic departure from reason <laughs> that it's as if we've forgotten the last 500 years of the scientific revolution and the enlightenment and we're desperate to return to the dark ages it's bewildering uh yeah i want to pick it up there in terms of like the, the basis for some of those grants that you're describing whether you think these are true believers or they're just going where the money is so to speak or some combination of the two and then also back to that point that you made about the, these these approaches these belief systems are going to come into conflict with one another and they have to be resolved one way or the other because they cannot peacefully coexist because one is essentially antagonistic towards peaceful coexistence. More with Gad Saad, professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal, also the author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, and host of The Saad Truth. We'll be right back. Dan Proft Show. Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Gad Saad. He's a professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal, former holder of the Concordia University Research Chair in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences and Darwinian Consumption, author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, and he's also the host of The Saad Truth. Um, God, uh, we were talking before the uh, break of, about um, these grants that you review from uh, uh, those in your areas of discipline, like evolutionary behavioral sciences, and just how sort of identitarian laden they are. And the question I left was, is this indicative of people going where they know the money is to get grants to do this research to you know get by and try to climb up the rungs of the academic ladder? Or are these all, you know, identitarian automatons? Right. So before I answer that question, and forgive me for correcting you, the, the nonsense that I refer to doesn't come from the evolutionary behavioral sciences. It comes from 
the humanities in general, and oh, in some cases okay. the social sciences. Uh, in the evolutionary behavioral sciences, we are still connected to reality and to science. Well, that's good to hear. Funny. Yeah, that's good yeah. to know. Uh, I don't think it's so much a question of going where the money is. I think it's, first of all, the, the people who are applying for their for these grants are the products of you know parasitic ideas that they've been inculcated uh, with for the past 30, 40 years. So their whole e- entire education has been mired in this kind of nonsense and BS. And so they're basically aping that which they learned, right? Yeah. So, they, so what happens in academia is you create an ecosystem that is otherwise perfectly decoupled from reality. So, so the consequences of your ideas don't really matter. And then you just play along within that uh, reward system. Now, the reason why, so I'm housed in the business school, the reason why the business school or the engineering school hasn't been as parasitized by these idea pathogens is because we ultimately uh, are beholden to reality, right? I can't build a mathematical model to understand consumer behavior using postmodernist mathematics, right? Uh, The engineer can't build a bridge using postmodernist physics. So some disciplines more than others are more likely to succumb to this nonsense. And so then you have this conflict of visions, to borrow a Thomas Sowell-ism, uh, and uh, people say, well, you know, we just have to unify, we have to be unity, we have to understand one another, we have to examine how thick our bubble is, and so on and so forth. seems to me there's a, a fundamental problem. You have uh, the perspective of the Islamo-fascist from those who are supportive of reimagining our First Amendment rights, meaning constricting them, and otherwise imposing an orthodoxy, whether they're in a C-suite uh, at a big tech company or they're, uh, you know, part of the squad in, in the House Democrat Socialist Caucus. So, so the, 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 it's not possible to exist when you have that sort of expansionist uh, authoritarian ideology on the march. You, they're going to come into conflict. Now the question is, how does that conflict get resolved, to their favor or to the favor of the peaceful pluralist? You're exactly right. So let me give you two concrete examples for your listeners. Uh, you often have uh, folks who belong to a group called Queers for Palestine walking around, you know, signaling how virtuous they are, right? So uh, if you are a person who is part of the LGBTQ community, do you think it is better for you to flourish in Tel Aviv or in the Gaza Strip? And yet they are Queers for Palestine, to use their term. So imagine how fractured their minds must be to be able to hold that position, right? They're not queers for Tel Aviv, which is one of the hotbeds of a flourishing liberal gay community. They are queers for the Gaza Strip and for Palestine. So that's one example. The other example is the battle that we see between uh, progressives who are avowed feminists and the transgender activists, right? So J.K. Rowling uh, went from being an icon of progressivism to being indistinguishable from Himmler because she said, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, what do you mean that uh, people menstruate? I thought there was a term for that. It was called women. For her saying that, <laughs> right, she became, I mean, literally, as I said, indistinguishable from the head of the Nazi party. So, so, so you're exactly right. The problem is the end result of all of these movements is an orgiastic self-cannibalism, right? The proverbial snake that ends up eating its tail. Eventually, they're going to collide, and then you sit back with your popcorn and watch the show. Mm. Um, there's a, a, a study that came out recently from a couple of Stanford academics uh, trying to answer the question, 
why are uh, narcissists uh, so successful in organizational politics? How, how do these narcissistic leaders uh, who have numerous negative traits wind up in charge of the entities they lead? Why are why are they so good at attaining leadership positions? And um, they uh, suggest that uh, those who are higher in narcissism more likely than those who are lower to see organizations in political terms and uh, in, in, in terms of political opportunities, more willing to engage in organizational politics, more skilled political actors. So they have the the opportunity through politics. They have the motive and they have the means. Um, I, I wonder what you think about that. You mean thinking about all of the goofballs in uh, positions of authority, whether in Congress or in state legislatures and governor's mansions around the country. We've seen that played out during this pandemic. Um, and, uh, you know, this sort of, again, the sort of the psychology here that uh, perhaps needs to be addressed. It, it, you need to get uh, people that are, um, I, I guess, less grandiose with their narcissism in positions of decision making. Well, listen, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it is difficult to imagine a group of people that are less impressive than the sort of recurring politician. Right. Think about in the old days when when you went into politics you typically came from an established profession, right? You were a, a village physician who decides to run for Congress. You were a successful lawyer who then 20 years into your law practice, you go into politics, but then you return to your prior career. But now we have politicians who enter politics like our noble uh, or your noble Joe Biden. Uh, he's been in politics since I think Isaac Newton died, right? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, he's achieved such great things for the past 50 years. So, of course, the people who are going to be uh, uh, driven to enter these uh, positions of power are likely people that you don't want to have in power, right? So, for example, many people have asked me both privately and publicly, hey, why don't you, know, why don't you enter into politics, Dr. Saad? And I tell them uh, I'm, I, I would be a useless politician because I am so honest so non-diplomatic now doesn't mean i'm impolite or or gauche or, or or callous but i'm simply too honest to be able to navigate the daily minefields that would require me to lie and cheat and manipulate and so on and so you're exactly right people who ascend to these positions regrettably have some of the worst personal traits that you could imagine yeah. So when we come back, I, I want to explore that a little bit more because it, it, they have the worst personal traits and, and personal traits and, and, in terms of uh, you know, organizational leadership. But it's a little bit more dangerous than that. And, and going back to this notion of some sort of conflict within uh, within society, within American society that goes beyond um, uh, pundits on one of the ghastly cable news network shows. Uh, the treatment of and, and sort of perhaps the, the new iteration of the purge going after your political opponent's supporters in a way that uh, is also uh, reminiscent of places that are authoritarian or totalitarian nature. I want to get um, Professor Saad's perspective on that. Uh, he is the author of Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. He's also the host of The Saad Truth. We'll be right back with more. Political fakers, fixers, and takers. He's Dan Proft, and this is The Dan Proft Show.
Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Professor Gad Saad. He's Professor of Marketing at Concordia University in Montreal. He's also the author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, and host of The Saad Truth. Uh, Professor, before the break, we're talking about these um, grandiose narcissists that uh, rise to positions of decision-making in spite of limited skill sets that uh, have discernible market value. And then, you know, sort of fold in to one another for everybody to protect their fiefdom and advance this now identitarian ideology. But this latest iteration, what you see happening in terms of the advantage the left has attempted to take, the Jacobins really have attempted to take from what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, the the rioting and the violence that occurred there and really go after Trump voters writ large. First of all, to characterize all Trump voters as sort of violent extremists, the Biden administration to the president Biden to direct his uh, director of national intelligence to identify the threats from violent extremists who engage in hate speech. I mean, they're basically using the terminology that they use to describe Trump voters, generally speaking. And now you have uh, institutions that are reorienting themselves not only to advance the poison of identitarianism, but also to purge anybody with a any history of supporting Trump from their ranks. And I wonder, I mean, if this is sort of the powder keg that you're talking about that may not explode next Tuesday, but it also may not be as far off as we think. Exactly right. Look, there are cases, I mean, certainly growing up in the Middle East, even on Twitter, there is a organization that keeps track of these grotesque anti-Semitic posts that people put up. And so let me mention one example of that, and it's going to relate to your question. So you might have a Muslim surgeon who says, well, you know, if I get a Jew in front of me, you know, I'm not going to, right, so, so screw the Hippocratic oath. My tribal allegiance and my genocidal hate supersedes that, right? Mm-hmm. And in the context of the Middle East, espousing that position is perfectly fine. But And that person simply doesn't know that he or she is not supposed to espouse those anti-Semitic uh, feelings, you know, in the West. Well, here's what's happening now. Uh, replace the Jew by Trump voters, right? So you demonize them. So it's perfectly acceptable now in polite society. You can go on the Bill Marshall and be called Katie Couric and say, you know, we really need to find a way to deprogram Trump voters. She is sufficiently emboldened to say that openly, publicly, and she gets claps from the audience. And she's not the only one to say it. So once we've gotten to the zeitgeist where people can say things like, let's deprogram and reprogram people because they hold political positions that are different from us, the train to hell is coming quickly for you. Get on board. What do you think of the the self-loathing evangelical Christians, the David Frenches of the world, for example, who are calling for Uh, evangelical Christians to apologize for supporting Trump. Well, that's the reflex of self-flagellation. So it's interesting that uh, the person, I I don't know who the person is that you're speaking of, but in in my book, In the Parasitic Mind, I talk about self-flagellation as a sort of progressive virtue, right? I am bad, I am white, I am the West, I am a male, and then I self-flagellate. Well, as you know, self-flagellant go back to some Catholic sex, right? You demonstrate Mm -hmm. your religious piety by by hitting yourself because, I mean, you are sinful, and so imagine where now we have a, a language that basically says that, you know, self-flagellate because you suffer from an original sin called you are a white male and so on. It's grotesque. So people, this is why in Chapter 8 I talk about uh, activate your inner honey badger. If you have values that you think are well-founded, that you can articulate well and defend, you have to be as fierce as the honey badger, not violent 
but you have to be ideologically fierce. Never retreat. One of the reasons I don't get canceled is because I am a honey badger. If you come after me, you better not miss because if not, I'm coming after you, your family, your dead ancestors. In other words, there's no end to how far I will take the debate to bring you down. So people have to have the strength of their convictions when they walk around in the world. Let's close our conversation with an example of that, uh, this uh, very entertaining uh, Twitter tete-a-tete you had with Seth Rogen. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Thank you for pointing it up. My God, I could, I can't believe how viral it went. You know, uh, yeah. For the for the for the view, listeners who, who don't know this, Seth Rogen came on and you know attacked me for having put up a clip that he said was stupid, and because I was talking about you know the virtue signaling of the elite ruling class, and he said, and so he was kind of defending why he is a socialist and so on. And I just smashed him to bits, not because I was trying to be mean to him. I don't know him. I don't care about him. I've seen a few of his movies. They're okay. But it's because the, 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 the hypocrisy of you know, reaping the benefits from the most capitalistic industry in the most capitalistic country in the history of the world while you're sitting in Malibu and doing your Che Guevara thing is simply impossible for me to stomach. So I went after him and he ran away like a little girl. Gad Saad, professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal, former holder of the Concordia University Research Chair in Evolutionary Behavioral Sciences and Darwinian Consumption, author of The Parasitic Mind, How the Infectious Ideas, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. He's also the host of the Saad Truth. Professor Saad, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Delightful to talk to you. Cheers.